Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I want us to be expectant. Uh, there is something we can call Sunday as usual, and I don't want Sunday as usual. If we keep going as usual here in America, we're going over a cliff. I want Sunday as it is in heaven. And so whatever it takes to get that, I'm willing to be bent to it. I remember the great cry of the Welsh revival was, Lord, bend me. And it's a scary thing to request, especially when you're standing up in front of a group of people and you say, Lord, bend me. But I mean it. I want God to get the glory out of his church. I want us to be bent to his agenda. This morning we were talking as pastors and we were saying there's two key things we want. We want a praying church and a confessing church. And in both cases, we have prayer. It's not the absence of prayer that we have, and it's not the absence of confessing that we are willing to state what we believe and proclaim it and share it with others. But on a scale of 1 to 100, it's about a 1.5. It's not even hitting the Richter scale. When you're in California and they say, oh, yeah, it was a 3.2, everyone sort of shrugs their shoulders. Let's start hitting the Richter scale, which causes the news to actually say, yeah, we had a major one here in Windsor. Yeah, we were like an 8.3. That's right. I want Christianity today to start making a scene, to start causing a decision to be made. Do they need to build crosses for us afresh? If they're going to try and shut us up, the answer is yes, because we are not going down silently. Right now, we are, okay? We are subsiding into nothingness in this culture because we're unwilling to stand up and say the unpopular thing. How, when did it become unpopular in a Christian culture to speak the truth about Jesus Christ? It's because we no longer are a Christian culture. We're an anti-Christian culture. And when we finally accept that as the church, that it takes boldness and guts and courage and the stuff of heaven to live out this life, and we can't just coast through it, well, then nothing's going to change. So, now let's begin our message. (laughs) The stigma. A study in the requisite foolishness of following Christ. Requisite might be too big of a word here. Uh, A study in the required foolishness for following Christ. Okay, requisite just means it's mandatory. You have to have it. Now, so you want to follow Jesus Christ. At least that's what I hear from you. Well, do you understand that it means you have to step into the life of the fool? You have to accept it. You have to take it on. You have to take John the Baptist's leathern girdle. It's still around. It's passed down from generation to generation. And it's being held out for all of us. He says, all right, your turn. We're like, oh, excuse me? I don't want to put that thing on. 
you don't put that thing on, don't call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, foolishness is the requisite. It is required for this thing known as following Jesus Christ. Our hip, cool culture today does not like what I'm about to tell you. And there's that hip, cool dimension in each one of us that isn't going to like it either. However, there's something else that is stirring within you known as the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has always been despised, always on this earth. In heaven, he's loved. Down here, he's always been despised. David came empowered in the Spirit of God, and Goliath held him in contempt. David danced in this, by the Spirit of God, and Micah despised him. It has always been that way. Jesus came empowered by the Spirit, and he was despised and rejected. It is always this case. The world around us hates the Spirit of God. You want to be a Christian? You can't be a Christian without him. So as a result, you need to accept it from the very beginning. I was trying to think of a good illustration for this, and this isn't a very good one. But you know a lottery ticket, I've never bought one, but a lottery ticket, it has that scratchy stuff, that silver scratchy stuff on the outside. And there's a lot of other things. I just can't think of what they'd be called, like little coupon cards. And you like scratch it off to get your prize. One of the ways that I was sort of trying to say it to myself today, because I almost wanted to change the title to be something like uh, Scratch and Sniff, but it, it, was, it just didn't, I couldn't get it together. But it's like we have this metallic hue about us. It's the same type of thing. It's, I, was even, I even saw that there's a do-it-yourself. You can make your own scratch cards. Uh, yeah, you can. It's, you can do all sorts of things, I guess, uh, in this world. But it's like some kind of latex thing with a, a silver paint on top of it. And uh, that's the way we are. And it's the cool dimension of us. When you grow up in a culture, you know what is cool and what is popular. It's a little silvery color. And so we want to give off the gleam. However, what does God come up and do? Right down the middle of our gleam? It's like, hey, we want to look the part. Instead, it's like, it starts scratching us off. Because what's behind it? The glory of Jesus Christ. You have to give up the silver hue. You have to give up the glitz, the cachet. You have to give up what the world applauds to show Jesus to this world. You choose. You can have your silver polish and call yourself a Christian, but that's not going to reveal Jesus to the world. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit to go and scratch away the cool, scratch away the hip to show forth his glory. The stigma. So our word in the Greek is stigma. It's the same word we use today. Stigma is not a good thing, by the way. If you have a stigma, it's usually, it means you've been branded. You're, you're carrying along a bad reputation there because you've been stigmatized. So you're, you're on the outs. Well, this is a biblical word. And the concept back then in the ancient Greek would have been a mark pricked in or branded upon the body. You're given a stigma. To ancient oriental usage, slaves and soldiers bore the name or the stamp of their master or commander branded or pricked, cut, into their bodies to indicate what master or general they belonged to. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that literally, if you were under, uh, well, if you were a slave, seared into your flesh is a mark. And so as a result, at any time, you could show who you belonged to. That's a really interesting statement. And even a general or a commander, you want to know whose army he's in? Branded into the skin was a mark. It's known as a stigma. 
Well, you know that the Bible seems to indicate that we all bear a mark. We all are showing who our commander is, who our master is. The Bible calls it Lord. Who is your Lord? Caesar had a simple solution for compromising the church of Jesus Christ in his day. He's either going to feed you to wild beasts or you're going to declare that Caesar is Lord. It's not that big of a deal. Just change your mark. Just acknowledge. Let me sear it in your flesh, says Caesar, that you belong to me instead of this whole Lord thing, that Jesus Christ, I'm going to feed you to wild beasts otherwise. And yet Christian after Christian would gladly be fed to wild beasts than change their mark. And though they were set before mocking crowds and considered the refuse of the world, they gladly would die than to allow their mark to be changed. The brand name. You know, we even use this terminology in America today. It's the brand. What brand do you buy? What brand do you wear? Isn't that interesting? The entire culture known as pop culture is based on brands. You know that a lot of us buy brands because of their innate sense of cool? You know that some of us, I don't know if any of you in here would admit to it, drink or eat Dannon yogurt with a pink ribbon on it. You take it to work and you open it up in front of everyone. Everyone goes, they're cool. Why would you do that? Well, because to have the pink ribbon on your product shows that you're in stride with the cause and the concern of the world around you. And so some of us will literally, I mean, the Green Bay Packers went pink one Sunday to try and be cool. You know that things are going bad in culture when the Green Bay Packers go pink. So the question is, there's a brand out there. And there's actually in Scripture, we could call it three different brands. Two of them are linked together, and then there's one that stands apart. One that is truly a stigma. The others are actually, I mean, if you want to really fit in, you want those brands. But let's, let's go through that. Uh, I know this isn't the most comfortable topic, but the brand of the beast, or what is known as the mark or the stigma of the beast. You see, this is something in Scripture. It's a number, 666. Isn't that make it even awkward talking about it? It's in the Bible. It's there, and it's a brand. And if you don't wear it, guess what? You're excluded. You're on the outs. And so this is one of the brands that we see. It's, uh, you see, most of us are not wearing the brand of the beast, okay? We're, we, we, we don't esteem that. We wouldn't wear that. And so we are somewhere in between, though, because there's, there's the brand of Christ. You'll see it at the bottom. But most of us uh, unwittingly wear the brand of Adam. It's the firstborn. It's the life of the flesh. It's the life that fits into this world. And so it's favorable in the eyes of the world. It's hip and it's cool. The beast is out to destroy the word of God. It's a deliberate statement to say, I am choosing to take on a different marker than my savior. I am willing to stand against my savior to live and to survive in this world. Bad decision. However, most of us are not in a position in life where we've had to make the decision between Christ and the beast. However, we have to make a decision daily, day in, day out, between Adam and Christ. Do you want to fit in with Adam or do you want to be with Christ? You make the decision. For Christ, that mark is, means you are here on earth to establish the kingdom and the glory of the beloved Son. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to get your applause. I'm not here to get your approval. I'm here to establish his kingdom. That's my reason for living. 
the authentic and the counterfeit. In every culture, it's really strange. The more I've studied this, I've been going through, because I started with China, and I was studying the church in China, and then I was studying the church uh, during the, you know, the Iron Curtain days of communism, and that, of course, spreads through China, but in all of uh, Eastern Europe and uh, Russia. And then I, I begin to recognize that this is the same thing that's been true in all sorts of other cultures. And uh, Nazi Germany, this is uh, the exact same fact. There's two churches. You see, we're always saying, well, the church isn't dead. And people would, would say that. that you know, the, the communists would say, oh, we allow freedom of, of religion here. And so they have a church, and there is a church, and it fills up and people go to it. Even in the height of communism, even in some of the most controlled countries, there's a church going on, and they, have, they even have a Bible in there. How, well, I thought they said that there was persecution here. I thought they said that they were throwing pastors into prison. What is this? There's two churches. Everywhere you look, there's two churches. One church is controlled by the government and placates and pacifies and does whatever the government asks them to do. And this is the other church that refuses. And Jesus says the same thing. You look out at a field and you see wheat. However, you look closer, you see tares. You see there's always two and they're intermingled. You see sheep and goats. Jesus knows the difference. And in the end, he separates the two. And so what we see is a pattern, the authentic and the counterfeit. By their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in, that name, in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's just one of those scriptures that just strikes each one of us at a pretty deep and tender spot. I don't know anyone in here that's going to stand up and say, hey, I want to be that guy on that day that is cast out. We don't want to be that guy on that day. We don't want to do wonderful things in the name of Jesus and then have him say, I never knew you. I want to know Jesus, and I want to be known by Jesus. Simply put, if you want to know the agenda of my life, it could be wrapped up in that statement. That's what I want. I don't care how glitzy, how glamorous it may look to the world on the outside. I want the genuine article no matter what it costs me. And I have a hunch the reason you're gathering here is because you're interested in the same thing. We're after something. We are actually attracted to the underground church in this room. It's a strange attraction that we have that we actually gravitate towards a more difficult life. Now, there's part of you that's like, I don't. So don't speak for me, Eric. And yet, there's something about you that wants the gospel spoken straightforwardly. You don't mind conviction because you know it saves you from compromise. And so it's sort of like, even though you sort of hesitate to say it, it's like, bring it on. Yeah, speak it to me. We want the real thing. That's a sign of life. It doesn't mean we're perfected. It doesn't mean we don't have some serious issues. It doesn't mean we don't have some silver polish over us still. It just means we're sort of like submitting ourselves to the fingernail of the Holy Spirit to scratch. God, I just, could you go around the edges? Don't go right down the middle. That just doesn't look good. And then he catches us. We're like, oh, I'm sorry I said that. All right, you probably need to go right down the middle. Scratch. The twos, sheep and goats. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Speaking of the judgment day, and there's Christ, and he's the he. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand 
and the goats on his left. And if you know the story, things don't go very well for the goats. However, the sheep are invited into his kingdom. There's twos. They look similar. They both go, They both sound similar. They both sort of look similar. But the shepherd knows the difference. And ironically, those of you that hang around sheep and goats would probably admit, yeah, there is a difference. And the same thing is true in the church. You've got a whole bunch of batting, but you got differentiation between. It's like, is that really the church? You ever felt that? It's like, what, how am I supposed to respond to that? In Germany in the time of Hitler, the same thing was true. Here they are. The church is silent on the issues of the Jews being sent to concentration camps. No one is saying anything. And you have what is known as the confessing church, the church that would gladly even suffer with the Jews and be thrown into the same concentration camps, then to stand by and do nothing. Which one are we? Are we standing by and doing nothing in our generation? Are we complicit with the government to just try and pacify them? Look, I'll have my private religion over here. I'm going to have my little thing over here. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in the concentration camps. I don't want to have to suffer for this. Which one are you? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Wheat and tares. In the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Which one comes into his kingdom? The wheat. The tares are a counterfeit. They look similar in a certain point of development, but then it's ultimately exposed that they are not wheat. Jews and Samaritans. That's an interesting one to throw in there. You see, it's the same country. It's the land of promise. However, Jesus makes it very clear. Listen to this. You worship, you know not what. He's speaking to the Samaritan woman. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. The Samaritans would argue that. And the Samaritans would say, look, we have the descendancy of Aaron the high priest. We have the first five books of the Bible. We are just as much in rightful claim to the savior of the world as you would be, O Jews. However, there was a mixture. The Assyrians had moved into the northern countries and had bred with this, what is known as the half-breeds of the mongrel race, the Samaritans. And it was a very unhealthy form of Israel. It was not the real thing. And so what we have is we have something that looks similar and has the same law and all sorts of, I mean, they have the same descendancy. Their father's Abraham. Something's not right. What is that something? The fellowship of the burning hearts. Throughout history, you'll see this exact issue brought up by many Christians. And they will try and describe it. It's sort of like the difference between the three-self church in China and the house church movement. It's like, well, they all believe in Jesus, but why is it that the underground, the ones that are being persecuted are the ones that are thriving, the ones that are truly loving, the ones that are truly glowing with the radiance of Jesus Christ? The other ones, there's something just not right. And so to describe it throughout history, it's been described as the fellowship of the burning heart. Are you a part of the fellowship of the burning heart? You see, you can't be cool. You guys understand the word cool? When I say it in a cultural context, it sounds like hip, in stride with culture. However, the concept of cool means lacking heat. It means you have allowed the world around you to dim your heat so that you can fit into it and not burn them. 
And so what we have is a sacred league of lion-hearted lambs with pierced sides. You know, that's, that's not that cool to be a lamb. Uh, how, it's not just a lamb. It's a lion-hearted lamb, which is extra uh, irritating to everyone around you, with pierced sides. In other words, Jesus says, those that believe in me out of their innermost will flow rivers of living water. We're pierced, which means we are those that are stung by mockery, stung by the shame of following Christ. And as a result, out of us, out of our wounds, flows living water to the world around us. This is how the fellowship of the burning heart has always worked. These are the sufferers. These are the ones that will gladly die in the concentration camps with the Jews. They are bold as lions, yet they live as lambs. And they live giving their life away. Every single one of us esteems that sort of living. And every single one of us knows the hesitation that we all have to entering into such a life. We want it, but we want to have it by proxy, by reading a book about it, by reading the voice of the martyrs, by praying for that pastor over in China. Do we have it by doing that? Or are we willing to literally step into that life and say, God, that's the life I accept. From this point forward, I expect to be treated that way. Burning for Christ or cool to this world. Now, the grammar on that is a little awkward because cool to this world means I'm popular with this world. You have to choose which one you want. Do you want to burn for Christ or do you want to be cool in this world's eyes? Okay, because you can't have it both ways. You know, there's a whole bunch of Christian books written about the idea of pandering after the world's good opinion. And actually building your life in such a way where the world will let you in to have influence. And so, you know, you can get your position as the quarterback for the football team, and then when you finally get the microphone stuck in front of your face, you can say, I just want to thank Jesus Christ. And for most of us, we're like, that is the ultimate way to evangelize. And I would say that if your end game is to fit into this world and then to give God the little notation that, oh, and when I get that position, then I'll try and give you glory. You're going at it the wrong way. That's not how Christianity functions. Are you trying to be cool? You're trying to be hip. You know, most of our contemporary Christian leaders, this is exactly the way they think. This is the exact way they live. They are trying to pacify the onlookers and to give them something that would make Christianity attractive. Cool. Worldliness is what will bring, bring them in. You know that when they would have a big crusade, and a, back in the day they would have an opera singer and a circus act. That's what they do. Because no one's going to come to hear someone preach the gospel. You have to have an opera singer. Doesn't that sound awkward? Who's going to come today when it's an opera singer and a circus act? It's like, oh, come on. Some juggler? Well, oh, come on. And yet, the same thing is true today. Most, most youth pastors, how do they think? We need to get people in, so what do we need to do? We need to give them something that they want. Then stick in some gospel. Is this how God works? It's a really important question for us to ask. So the art of branding, convincing the world that you are part of the cool culture. You understand the cool. So when you're delivering a product, the worst thing you could do is be uncool in your product. I mean, what kind of branding uh, marketing meeting could you imagine saying, okay, the world wants this, let's give them the opposite. All right, they really like uh, pink right now, so let's give them, you know, whatever it would be. I don't care. How do you think of the opposite of a color? Uh, However, the, the point is, if there is certain terminology, like there are Christian organizations that will change their name because their wording in their title that they've had for I mean, years and years, decades, is uncool today. 
And so they'll actually change their name to fit and to be in stride with the way people think and reason. Now, I'm not saying that you should go out and just make yourself buck-toothed as if that's a better strategy because God likes buck teeth. God doesn't like the antithesis always. It's the motive that matters to God. In other words, I think you should dress nice. I think you should take care of your hair. I don't think you should just, you know, get all, uh, what, what do you call it? when you, What's that called? Static electricity? <laughs> Stick a balloon on it and rub it every morning and then come walk into church. I don't think it's the opposite that is true. It's the motivation of why you do what you do. Because as far as I'm concerned, Christians look like the kingdom of heaven, which is orderly, decent, beautiful. In other words, it smells like heaven. However, that smell doesn't translate well down here. But you are not seeking to be the opposite of heaven. You're seeking to be like heaven, which is a wonderful place. So convincing the world that you are part of the cool culture, you understand the cool. You drive the cool. You smoke the cool. You drink the cool. You listen to the cool. You spend your Friday nights at the cool. And you know the language of the cool. There are words that are cool and words that aren't. You know what what word you're not supposed to use if you're uh, cool? Cool. You're not supposed to use that word. That's an old word to describe this. What's a new word for for cool today? Choice. (laughs) Choice choice was my word in junior high. Uh, That's choice. Uh, So, okay, you guys get the idea. You know the words, and there's words that aren't cool. They're not supposed to be used. That's like your dad's cool word. You need to be in stride with the younger set's cool word of the day. Or do you? Do you even need to care about that? It's a whole interesting discussion that we could have. Corporate rebranding. So when you recognize as a corporation that you're going against the flow, it's called rebranding. You need to set something straight. You know that a lot of companies that you actually are attracted to today just naturally. It's like, oh yeah, I'd like to drive that car. Like a Volkswagen. For instance, a Volkswagen, if you go through your list of cool cars, there's, there's cool cars and there's uncool cars. Uh, a cool car, like for instance, Volkswagen's a cool car today. And yet, did you know that you go back, oh, 15, 17 years ago, somewhere in there, Volkswagens were on the outs. If you were driving a Volkswagen, you were ma-paw. Okay? You are not cool. Volkswagen recognized it. So did Cadillac. Cadillac and Volkswagen were old people cars. And so, or uh, ex-hippies. And (laughs) so Cadillac and Volkswagen both went after a rebranding season. And guess what? They succeeded. And now it's cool to drive a Cadillac Escalade. Now it's cool to drive a Volkswagen of any kind. I mean, drive a bug. We used to make fun of people that drove bugs. Herbie was a funny car. That's the reason you felt bad for it. That was... (laughs) Then they stick a little flower in it and get these cool colors to it. Now everyone's driving. I see even guys driving it. It's like, what in the world? It's called rebranding. They're playing with us. They're playing with us. They're saying, if you were cool, you would drive this. And we fall for it. We do. They play us like a fiddle. Is it time for a rebranding of Jesus? Because Jesus is on the outs, okay? I, I don't know if you've noticed, but Jesus isn't cool anymore. It's not cool to be a Christian. It's not cool to be a strong Christian. It's not cool to preach about Jesus Christ. It's not cool to believe that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. Uh, so do we need a corporate rebranding here? A rebranding of the church? You know, that's exactly what the modern emergent movement, postmodernism into the church, is saying, that we need to re-image Jesus. I mean, uh, Rob Bell has an entire book about it. 
called the Velvet Elvis. It's an entire movement to re-image and refashion the church so that it fits into this world. No. Not on our watch. Jesus doesn't need to be rebranded. After all, he's not a part of the cool culture. He doesn't talk cool, doesn't look cool, doesn't live cool. Will you accept this? You have turned to the one who isn't cool. So why are you trying to be cool? You see, you love Jesus, don't you? Isn't he your life? Isn't he the centerpiece of your existence? Isn't he what you're after? Or are you after the world's applause? Which one is it? The brand of Jesus. You know that Jesus has a brand? It is. It's called the stigma. That's what it's called in Scripture. It's like, oh, here's my brand. You want to wear my clothes? You want to walk like me? You want to talk like me? Here's my outfit. Like, what? It's called the stigma. Are you willing to wear the mark of Christ, the brand of Christ? So what are you wearing, Levi's? What are you wearing, Jesus? You see, Levi's are always in. Jesus is always out. And you've chosen, when I was young in elementary school, everyone that had any style sense wore Levi's. Okay? In fact, it was Levi's shrink to fits. I don't know if, if that, that really dates me, I know, but there's some of you who are like, oh, yeah, I remember those. Uh, Levi's shrink to fit jeans. And, and then it had baby blue canvas Nikes. Uh, you had to, and then you had an IZOD. Uh, and if you didn't have an alligator uh, up here, you were not in. Okay? And so my mom went to Sears and bought me tough skins. Tough skins! How embarrassing is that? Have you ever seen tough skins? They're the most pathetically put together pair of jeans. I don't know if they still exist. But they have a patch, a patch, okay? Patches are uncool. Patch that went from just below the knee where you need it, down along, it's like a shin guard. (laughs) So I'm holding these things up going, no way am I going to wear those. It's the equivalent of stepping into Christ, stepping into a pair of tough skins and going to elementary school. Bearing the stigma. I bear in my body the brand of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's he's showing in his very life, he bears the signs that he is wearing the brand of Jesus. You can tell. You look closely at someone and you can tell, yeah, they must be wearing the brand. How do you tell? Well, the Bible goes through it in great detail. The fellowship of a burning heart, how will you recognize them? We're going to go through 30 defining attributes of those that bear the marks and don't live cool. In other words, there's a way of telling if someone's wearing the clothing of Jesus Christ. You can tell. The Bible makes it clear. So let's go through, and I want you to allow this to test your soul. Are you wearing the mark of Christ? Are you bearing in your body, in your lifestyle, the marks? They are those who are armed with the same mind as Christ was armed, prepared to suffer in the body. They are those who do not consider it strange to encounter fiery trials. They are those who rejoice for the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings. They are those who are unashamed of the fact that they suffer for righteousness. They are those who consider it the highest privilege to fill up in their bodies what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. They are those who are immovable and undaunted in affliction, for they know that they are commissioned, even appointed to suffering, affliction, and tribulation. They are those who are troubled on every side, yet do not get distressed. Those who are perplexed, but do not despair. Persecuted, but are not forsaken. And cast down, but are not destroyed. 
There are those that are always bearing about in their body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in their body. There are those that yearn to share in the fellowship of his sufferings and desire to be conformed to his death. There are those that are not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ, but are partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. There are those that know that all things, whether it be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, or any other affliction, work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. There are those that accept with joy the fact that for Christ's sake they are killed all the day long, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. There are those that know that all afflictions and all trials shall turn to their salvation through prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There are those that are utterly confident that they shall not be ashamed for the confidence they have placed in Jesus Christ, and whether it's by life or by death, Christ shall be magnified in their body. There are those that know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. There are those that are gladly spent for the glory of God and faint not through the difficult trials, imprisonments, and the many afflictions. There are those that are confident that as suffering and afflictions tear down and decompose their outward body, their inward man is renewed day by day. There are those that know that their current afflictions work for them a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There are those that know that if their earthly house, their body, were dissolved, that they have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There are those that will gladly spend their bodies and spill their blood because of love for Jesus Christ and his body, the church. There are those that rejoice and are exceeding glad when they are reviled, persecuted, and all manner of evil is spoken against them falsely for the sake of Jesus Christ. There are those that rejoice that they are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. There are those that are exceedingly joyful in all their tribulation. There are those that consider it pure joy when they face trials of many kinds. There are those that know that where the sufferings of Christ abound, so the consolation, comfort, and satisfaction of Christ abounds. There are those whose hope is steadfast and whose endurance is strong, though they be pressed out of measure above their human strength to handle, insomuch that they despair even of life. There are those whose boast is in their Christ, his sufferings, and the fact that they are privileged to share in the fellowship of those sufferings. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often, with scourging, stoning, stripes, beatings, shipwrecks, perils, weariness, painfulness, watchings, hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, and nakedness. There are those that endure all things for Jesus Christ and for the sake of the elect. There are those that do not consider the sufferings of this present time as worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in them. There are those that know it was fitting for Jesus to become perfect through suffering, and it is also fitting for them to be perfected in the same manner. Yep, that's how you'll know them. Is that how we're known? Is that what we're wearing? Is that the evidence of the sheep? Or do we have some goatness, some Samaritanism, some tarishness still lingering in us. You see, many of us grew up in Christianity not recognizing that we were tares, not recognizing that we were goats in our behavior. We were just like everyone else. And as a result, in coming to Christ, it's sort of confusing because it's like, wait a minute, I don't match the wheat, but I've been in the soil being watered by the word of God my entire life. Well, how come I don't look like wheat? How come I don't look like that? Well, if you're not looking like that, even in the smallest area of your life, because you might have certain areas, you might look like 28 of those and two of them you don't. I don't care. Repent. Repent of the two. Repent of what the Spirit of God shows you and follow Him. Follow Him with a genuine heart. You're not the solution to this dying world. He is. He is the answer. You give up your way. You allow the Holy Spirit to scratch off the cool. And you are willing to bear the marks of Jesus Christ. The pattern of the burning heart. You know that 23 of the 30 above descriptions were given by a singular man known as the Apostle Paul. 
I know, you could say, what does that matter? Because he wrote most of the New Testament. However, it's important to know this because Paul makes very specific statements about the words that he speaks and the life that he lives. This is Paul's life. He bore in his body the marks. He's the one that wrote most of that list. So what does the one that bore in his body those marks and wrote most of those lists say to us 2,000 years later about how we ought to handle how he lived and what he wrote? The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now, we want to be rather selective in what, how we think about what we heard from Paul. Well, I didn't hear that. Are you sure? Did you hear what I just read? The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Paul, you had an exceptional, special life. Not all of us are called to be like that. Who told you that? Who gave you that little line of reasoning? What's Paul there for? Jesus is Jesus. He's God Almighty. And as a result, all of us could say, well, that's Jesus. I can't live that life. So what did God do knowing our argument? He gave us Paul. He said, so is Paul God? We go, no, no, Paul's not God. So he's a man filled with God. Well, yeah, that's right. And so can you be. In other words, Paul is the example of what Christ can do in a man, what Christ will do in a man. Are you willing to accept that, that he has given us a pattern in the life of the Apostle Paul and said, do it. Imitate that. Follow in that pattern. Brethren, join in in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Yeah, this this message is way too clear. Uncomfortably so. It just says it and doesn't give us any wiggle room. You have for yourself a pattern in the person of Paul who wrote that he bore in his body the marks, the stigma of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, says Paul. For it was fitting for him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. How was Jesus made perfect? I know that sounds strange to talk about God being made perfect. However, he was also in a man's body. And he was built the same way you and I are built. He was built through sufferings. And Paul says, I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. What's the imitation? That the captain of our salvation suffered. He suffered in this body. This is part of the pattern. That I may know, says Paul, this is his great yearning, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You're supposed to arm yourself in your mind that your life leads to suffering. I I know it sounds strange, especially to say to an American church. No, 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 no. No, we're Americans. Other other. Christians in other countries, they they suffer. If you're not suffering, if you're not giving yourself to the Spirit of God and letting Him scratch off the cool, yeah, if you keep the cool on there, you won't suffer. But the moment that cool begins to get scratched off, you'll find that suffering follows. Now, it's not 
suffering always in a prison cell where someone's poking you uh, with hot irons. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that, but you will suffer. You will suffer in this world which is opposed to what you are allowing to be revealed underneath that cool. It's called the glory of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is not welcome in this hostile territory. I know we can still imagine that America is a Christian country, but we must accept the fact that we are post-Christian. We have moved past our Christian roots. We are now despising them. Harvard started out as a Christian college. It now trains the strongest leaders in the world to stamp out Christianity. We have progressed as Harvard did. Whereas we once sent forth the greatest, brightest, strongest missionaries into the world, now we are sending forth the greatest missionaries to corrupt the world. What has happened to us? We must recognize that we are in hostile territory here. The spirit of Christ is not welcomed. Oh, the church can still function and we can still have some 501c3 backing as long as you play by the rules, as long as you don't allow that fragrance to get too strong. Understanding suffering, climbing inside the body of Christ. So if you were to pick someone on earth that you wouldn't want to climb into their body and their life, Job would be one. It's just like if you were going to pick it, there was a little doorway and you could climb into any person. Wouldn't that be a fascinating novel or a book? It's like this one device that will enable you to like walk a mile in someone's life. And so you can climb into Job. Well, most of us are going to steer away from Job. Okay, not Job. We'll pick someone else. I'm going to say that the person you would least likely choose, his name is Jesus Christ. The person you would least likely choose if you're going to reason from Adam's perspective would be Jesus Christ. Because when you step into him, what are you getting? You get his suffering. Well, you get Gethsemane. You get the mocking, railing jeers. They ripped out his beard and spat in his face. They scourged his body and tore away his flesh. They stuck a cross upon his shoulders and said, walk. They pierced his hands and his feet. Every bone out of joint. His heart literally imploding in his chest. So when they pierced his side out, flowed blood and water. Anyone up for that? Just sort of step into into that. And what is Christianity? It's exactly that. See, I know most of us focus on the fact that we're stepping into his resurrection and his life, and we're not stepping into, 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 into that. Well, who told you that? You're stepping into Christ. You get his resurrection life. You get his seated position in the heavenly realms, but you also get his suffering. You get what he got. Now, he's going to enable you to carry it because he already bore it. However, you still get how the Spirit of God was treated in Christ is the same way you are going to be treated. So the fool. Uh, you know, the Bible refers to the idea of a fool. So I just wanted to give you a, a few synonyms for fool just so you can get comfortable in this clothing, okay? Because some of you, you know, you might not really realize what it means to be a fool. So here's a, a few. I just have a couple on here. It's an idiot, a blockhead, a dunce, a dolt, an ignoramus, an imbecile, a cretin, a dullard, a simpleton, a moron, a clod, a nitwit, halfwit, dope, ninny, nincompoop, chump, dimwit, dingbat, dipstick, goober, coot, goon, dumbo, dummy, dum-dum, fathead, numbskull, fix, every, all the kids in here are like dreaming, because this is all the words that they're not allowed to say at all. 
It's like, oh, he's saying them for me. Thick head, airhead, flake, lame brain, pea brain, bird brain, jug head, chowder head, dumb head, goofball, goof, goofus, doofus, galoot, lummox, knuckle dragger, meatball, or dumb cluck. Get used to it. This is our new name. You do no, no longer shrink from being called this. You embrace it. You understand. See, in heaven, we are not fools. But here on this earth, that which is heavenly is deemed foolish. It is not truly foolish, but we understand that the clothing in which we have stepped is deemed that in this world. We are fools for Christ's sake. So do you need me to read the list again just so you can get familiar with that? Are you guys on target here? The parents like, no, please do not read that list again. The Chrissy lesson. I have an older sister. My older sister is one of the most amazing women on earth. I used to refer to her as, as the Mother Teresa of Michigan. My, my sister is truly an outward life. She loves Jesus. She glows with Jesus. I remember growing up and she would sing in worship time at church and she'd be smiling. I was thinking about the Bronco game. And I'd look over at my sister and I'm like, what in the world? She said, like, you'd think she enjoyed this. It was genuine in my sister. And so I grew up uh, trying to be cool. I was in the public school. My sister was in the public school too. And by the way, the public school system is hard on someone like my sister. You have to make a choice. There's two kinds of Christians in the public school system. Ones that don't talk about it and ones that are ridiculed. My sister was ridiculed. My sister would spend her lunch hour with the foreign students, the special ed students, uh, and all the other kids that were rejected. They had a little table, and my sister sat at that table. Oh, no! You see, I was in. I was in stride, and I was about to enter the same school she was leaving. because She's older, so she was graduating from high school, and I was moving into the same high school. I had some rebranding to do on the Ludi name. Because the Ludi name had gotten caught up with this whole holier-than-thou, sit-with-the-weak-and-the-lame-and-the-deaf. Oh, come on. And I remember one of the first things one of the teachers said to me was, you're not anything like your sister. I said, thank you. You see, I esteemed the approval of the world, and I shunned my sister's reputation because of it. You know that my sister prayed for me every day. One of the reasons I am who I am today is because of my sister. My sister was my conscience. I would roll up my sleeves, uh, you know, up like this. My sister would come through the house and knock down my sleeves. Don't do that. I can do that if I want. And my sister was always calling me to manhood, to Christ. It's like, Eric, you know better than this. But I was one tough nut. I was in Adam. I was a tear. I'd grown up in the church, but I was a goat. I was a Samaritan. I had bred with the Assyrians. And what had come out was some funny form of Christianity. It was a Christianity that supplied whatever I needed to aggrandize myself, and I could justify it somehow with some scripture there. It's like, oh, you know, all things are permissible to me. I could find a scripture to live the way I wanted. And my sister gave me a book, a book for Christmas called No Compromise when I was in my freshman year of college, and it was a book about Keith Green. He had died, and his wife had written a book about him. And I took that up to college. Couldn't figure out why my sister gave me a book. But she said she'd prayed about her gift, and that's what she got me. I said, great. And I read this book, and it changed my life. And 
one of the key things in my life was beginning to recognize as I began to look, as I gave my life to Jesus, to look at my sister and say, God, I'm wanting to follow you, but I don't want to be treated like my sister. My sister lived it. And I saw how she was treated. I have a social sixth sense. I'm, I'm convinced that some people don't have it. And they go out there and say things. It's like, they're not suffering because, you know, they're standing for Jesus. They're suffering because they lack social something. I have the social something. And as a result, I know when I'm preaching what's not going to sit well. I can read an audience. I understand what people are thinking. I don't know how I know these things. That's what made me a great communicator, though, when I was growing up. I could read an audience, and I could give that audience what they wanted. And so what do you think it's like when God says, no, you can read the audience, great, but now I want you to give them what I want to give them, even though you know that it will hurt them, that it will convict them, that it will make them uncomfortable, and they may not like you from this point forward. God, I wish I didn't have the social sense. Because if I didn't have the social sense, I could just obey God. It's, have you ever heard, have you ever had the thought, if I didn't have nerves, then I would gladly suffer for Jesus? (laughs) Cut off my arm. Yeah, because I don't feel it. But when you feel it, it is all the greater of a step forward to say, God, stick the leathern girdle on. Make my hair look like John the Baptist. Give me the locust and wild honey. You know what it looks like, and you know you will be deemed the fool. But to do it because the glory of God is in the ascendant. The Chrissy lesson. The three options. You choose which one you will climb into and live out your high school years. So high school is just the epitome of pressure. I mean, junior high is technically the epitome. But since I'm thinking about high school since the illustration is Chrissy, you know that, imagine that I'm arriving at... uh, at high school, and I have three options before me. We all have these options. I could outright declare myself an opponent of Jesus Christ. I could, and I could ridicule and mock anyone who dares speak of Jesus Christ in high school. I'm not going to do that. I'm a Christian, and so I'm not going to do that, but that would be the mark of the beast. In other words, I'm not going to take that mark. I'm not going to handle that. I'm not going to step into that. However, there is that other option, So the mean bully could be my first option. The second one, the cool kid. This is just the most obvious course for us. As Christians, you look at this list and you say, okay, you want to affect the world in which you live. You need to be liked by the world first. If you you aren't, they're not going to listen to you when you speak. It's just good old-fashioned logic. It's called social logic. And so as a result, almost every single one of us in this room, bar none, have thought that. And so as a result, we put our best foot forward to try and gain some kind of level of respect. Then we'll try and speak. And there's the Chrissy option. You just live Jesus. You know that Chrissy is not some mean-spirited Christian that wants to just come up to someone and rebuke them? She lived it. She would go to the lowest and the least and just wash their feet. That's how she spent her high school, sharing Jesus with all of them. In fact, she was one of the original inventors of reaching foreign students with the gospel. In other words, they're going back to their country. So they're here for a season, and they don't know anyone. They need a friend. That's my sister. She was doing that way before it became an even idea. My sister was like Jesus. But, you know, that she was voted, you know, in the, in the high school yearbook, she had, like, in the picture, they tied her to a tree, 
and put a, I can never think of what those things are called, a gag through her mouth. And they tied her to a tree and voted her something in the class. And she submitted to it and let them take the picture and mock her in the yearbook. I had to enter that same high school the next year. You're not going to get me to climb into that. I'm not going to be the one with the gag in my mouth tied to a tree. got to be kidding me. And I chose wrong. I chose wrong when I went to high school. And I've been convicted about it. And I realized that I was growing up as a tear. It was in college that God got a hold of my life. And I realized I'd grown up as a goat. I was a Samaritan. Whoa. God, what, what is wrong with me? Please, don't forsake me. Eric, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm convicting you because I love you. And I want you to, to turn to me. I want you to step into me as your clothing. In front of the mocking crowds, my sister, when I came to Christ, uh, was still one of the most important influences of my life because now I had to admit she lived it. And now her words actually had weight in my life. And that's the way a lot of us are. You know that I've had a lot of people that reject me, they hate me just because of what I represent. And then when they come to Christ, then suddenly my opinion matters to them. They're like, Eric, you know, I was just thinking... What, what do you think about this? I'm like, you're asking me? You used to mock me. It's like, well, uh, that's part of the reason I'm asking you. I realize I mocked you because what you had offended me. But now I want what you have. So my sister described the cross. I've shared this at Ellerslie before. But she described the cross. She says, Eric, put yourself at the cross. There's a mocking crowd encircling. They're throwing jeers. Jesus is a bloody pulp of a man. His life is ebbing away, and he's not even opening his mouth to defend himself. I mean, it's a bad scene. And I said, she said, I want you to consider walking up to the foot of the cross in this moment, and everyone look at you and say, Hey, what are you doing there? Ludie, get out of the way. And stand there, and they say, what are you, with him? To stick your finger in the air and point at that bloody pulp of a man. Even though he looks so weak. Even though he's so uncool. And even if your finger trembles, say, I'm with him. That's Christianity. And that's what my sister told me. Eric? You can be with the crowd and be silent. Or you can step forward by the boldness and the power and the courage of the Holy Spirit and identify in the fellowship of the burning heart. No cool in Christianity. We burn hot for Jesus. We don't attempt to gain the approval of this dying world. We attempt to save them save them. There's a fire that will burn inside of us now or it'll burn us up later. Let's allow it to burn inside of us now. The all-important refusal, saying no to the cool. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The term for refuse is aperneomai, to deny, to refuse, to disregard, to reject, to forego. 
Moses rejected. He gave up the privileges of being in the high caste system. It's Pharaoh's son. He could have been the next Pharaoh for all we know. And he refused it. He gave up the shimmer. He gave up that little scratch-off stuff. And he accepted the reproach of Christ. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. Now look as we go down. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Egypt is symbolic of the world. There's treasures. There's all sorts of stuff you could go after. Do you esteem the reproach of Christ as greater? You see, I'm not asking you to suffer in the true sense. Suffering in the heavenly sense is actually not suffering. It's life. It's grace. It's access to the fullness and the intimacy of, with God. When you suffer in this world, you only, it only draws you closer to Christ. It only builds you stronger in Christ. It's not really suffering, even though it is. It is suffering, but truly in the heaven's light, it's amazing. You see, we esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You must refuse something. You see, you have to say no to something. Will it be Jesus or will it be self? Peter said to him, this is Peter speaking at the Last Supper. Jesus has said, you know, you will deny me. (laughs) You will refuse me. You will apernamai, naomai, me. That's what he said. Even if I have to die with you, I will not apernaomai. I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And so would say all of us. We won't deny Jesus. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. You see, a little girl comes up to Peter and says, I think you're with him. No. I'm not with him. He even curses. I mean, Peter, what's wrong with you? Same thing was wrong with Peter that's wrong with us. And the same thing that rescued Peter from such a state is the same thing that will rescue us. This same man that denied Jesus before a little girl stood in front of the very city that crucified his Savior and declared him 50 days later at Pentecost. Whoa, what happened? It's called the Holy Spirit. Moving and dwelling inside of this man, he took on the clothing of Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. But you denied the Holy One, Aparneomai, and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Are we choosing Barabbas or are we choosing Jesus? You must choose something. Someone's going to die. Make sure it's Barabbas. Make sure it's the old man. Make sure it's self that goes down and not your Savior. When the world is mocking you, something needs to be denied. Make sure that it's the denial of self. Aparneomai yourself. Do not aparneomai Jesus. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. You want to follow Jesus? You have to aparneomai yourself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So this is the dying. It's more than just a refusal of riches. It's a very real death. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And whosoever doth not bear his cross 
and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever is not willing to walk up to the foot of the cross, point their finger at the suffering Savior and say, I'm with him, cannot be Christ's disciple. If you're not willing to pick up your cross and deny self, you are not fit to keep following. That's terror thinking. That's goat thinking. That's how the Samaritans function. I can follow Christ without that cross. I can follow Christ without being identified with his foolishness. Can you? Not according to Jesus. If you want to follow him, you pick up his cross. You identify with his suffering. You put on him his clothing. You step into Chrissy and go to high school. You must recognize this is how Christianity functions. It's time to make the decision. The fear of man can no longer rule the church of Jesus Christ. I am tired of contemporary Christianity looking slick. I'm tired of it compromising and pandering after the good opinion of this world. I'm ready to go underground if necessary. I want the real thing, and I want it now. It starts with me, and it starts with you guys. Let's not cluck our tongues at anything else out there. It may make me mad, but I can be just as mad with the propensity in me to want to get a little shimmer, to want to get a little silver scratch-off stuff back on me. It's like, you know, it's tough being the guy that people don't like. I'd like to be liked again. You know, there were days when people liked me. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Can't you hear God? I like you. (laughs) Thanks, but you know, I have to live down here. (laughs) You see, our entire aim is the applause of one. The applause of heaven is what we live for. I recognize the stickiness of a message like this. I recognize the push. I recognize the sting. However... I want you to choose. You have to choose your clothing. You have to choose the brand that you're going to have upon you. And I want every single one of us to not ignore this message, not just slip through this message and somehow come out unscathed on the other side, but every single one of us to receive a mark. That mark might hurt, but to receive it in our body, to receive it in our life, we put on the clothing, we put on the mark, we put on the stigma of Jesus Christ, knowing full well that when we enter the fellowship of the burning heart, we are entering the fellowship of the burning heart. And those that have lived in that fellowship throughout the ages, many have spent time in prison, many have spent time suffering under torture, many have died cruel deaths, but all of them have found the fullness of Jesus Christ. When you put on that, you find Jesus. You know Jesus. And you recognize the importance of what you have. You consider it greater riches. This truly is greater. Not just some mental thing. It's like, well, this is greater riches. This is greater riches. Try and convince yourself of it. It is greater riches. To live as Christ, to die as gain. There is actually no downside. I was using the illustration last night, Cheerio and milk. That's what we become. You push us down no matter what comes against us. A little Cheerio goes down in the milk, into the difficulty, into the trial. And bloop, it pops right back up. Cheerio just stares back at all fingers that want to push it down and say, greater is him that is within me than that finger. (laughs) We defy every downward push. We go up. That's the only way we know to go. Bloop. It's time to make a decision. Don't leave today without making a decision on where you stand, 
Are you in Christ's clothing? Are you at the foot of the cross with your finger up or are you in the crowd? Silently saying, well, I support him. I just don't want to publicly acknowledge it. One of the things that history will testify of is the moment the church stops professing its faith and confessing its faith in any culture, one uh, generation removed, it is a dead, defeated church and it no longer lives. We are close to that end. We must start confessing our faith right now. Step inside the fool, who is truly not a fool, but is the true creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.